Welcome to the Come Follow Me podcast for teens and for parents of teens, a podcast to supplement your weekly study of the Come Follow Me curriculum with thoughts, ideas, principles, stories, and questions all geared towards helping teenagers better follow Christ through their teenage years. Hey everybody, welcome once again to another edition of the Come Follow Me podcast for teens. I'm your host, Josh Downs. And today's episode is episode 52, Revelations 15 through 22, which marks the end of our study this year of the New Testament. It's an exciting time, almost a landmark uh, event here. We've concluded an entire year of the Come Follow Me curriculum in the New Testament. Super excited for what's coming next year, but we'll get into that uh, much later. The theme for the episode today is he that overcometh shall inherit all things. And I cannot think of a better theme than that to conclude our study with and the year with. The background of these chapters is as follows. As you may recall, the book of Revelation begins with the Savior declaring himself to be the beginning and the ending. Fittingly, it ends with similar words. I am the beginning and the end. But what does that mean, the beginning and the end of what? The book of Revelation powerfully testifies that Jesus Christ is the beginning and the end of everything, of the great sweeping drama of human existence and salvation. He is the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world, and He is the King of kings who brings an end to wickedness, sorrow, and even death itself, and ushers in a new heaven and a new earth. Yet, before this new heaven and new earth arrive, there is much for us to overcome, Plagues, wars, rampant wickedness, all of which Revelation vividly describes. But Jesus Christ is with us during this part too. He is the bright and morning star that shines in the dark sky as a promise that dawn is coming soon. And it is coming soon. He is coming. Even as he invites us, come unto me. He also comes to us. I come quickly, he declares, and with hope and faith that has been purified in the fires of latter-day adversity, we answer, even so come, Lord Jesus. What a beautiful introduction to this week's study. Just have a few quick principles to kind of tie things up for our study this year. The first is in Revelations chapter 18, verse 4, where throughout the, the course of the preceding chapters in this chapter, there's been much that has been spoken about the destruction of the world and of the wicked. And, but yet John records in verse 4 this invitation to all of us, where he says, And I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people, that ye be not partakers of her sins, and that ye receive not of her plagues. And we've talked at length about the ability that God has to separate those that experience the chaos of destruction and those that can experience peace. He has the power to, to separate those events in our lives, as chaotic as they may seem. We, we've seen evidence of that all through scriptures, whether it was in the, the plagues of Pharaoh in Egypt or the destruction among the Nephites. God has a way of protecting and providing a refuge for those that follow him and come to him and come out of the world, so to speak. And I love that inf- invitation to all of us. Come out of her, my people. We are invited as individuals, to come out from Babylon or to come out from the world, to be different from the world, to be separate from the world. Elder Bruce R. McConkie in his book, Millennial Messiah, says this, In prophetic imagery, Babylon is the world, 
With all of its carnality and wickedness, Babylon is the degenerate social order created by lustful men who love darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. Babylon is the almighty governmental power that takes the saints of God into captivity. It is the false churches that build false temples and worship false gods. It is every false philosophy that leads men away from God and salvation. Babylon is false and a degenerate religion in all of its forms and branches. Babylon is the communistic system that seeks to destroy the freedom of people in all nations and kingdoms. It is the mafia and the crime syndicates that murder and rob and steal. It is the secret combinations that seek for power and unrighteous dominion over the souls of men. Babylon is the promoter of pornography. It is organized crime and prostitution. It is every evil and wicked and ungodly thing in our whole social structure. That is what God is inviting us to come out of. Yet, as we know, all of these things, as wicked and as evil as they are, are made to look appealing, are made to look inviting, are made to look as if they would bring happiness instead of misery. Elder Quintanel Cook taught this, though, about learning to separate ourselves from those kinds of influences in life. He said, Separating evil from our lives has become even more essential since our homes are wired to bring much of what the Lord has condemned into our own living room if we are not vigilant. One of the most difficult challenges in our lives is to be in the world, but not of the world. Gospel doctrine makes it clear that we must live in this world to achieve our eternal destination. We must be tried and tested and found worthy of a greater kingdom. We must do as Abraham did when he pitched his tent and built an altar unto the Lord, and not do as Lot did when he pitched his tent toward Sodom. We cannot avoid the world. A cloistered existence is not the answer. In a positive sense, our contribution to the world is a part of our challenge and is essential if we are to develop our talents. President Brigham Young said, Every accomplishment, every polished grace, every useful attainment in mathematics, music, and all science and art belongs to the saints. President Spencer W. Kimball challenged members to accomplish more, stating, We must recognize that excellence and quality are a reflection of how we feel about ourselves and about life, and about God. To accomplish the above, members of the church, us, we need to be involved in the world in a positive way. That's the challenge and the opportunity. One of the things that I love to do personally is to lift weights, and I've come to recognize that in order for me to get stronger and build the muscle that I need, I have to have something heavy to push against. And guess what? The world, in all of its temptation, in all of its wickedness and alluring, is heavy. And it is going to be hard to push against. But that's how we develop the spiritual strength that we need to survive and to be able to do more and accomplish more in this world. The principle of opposition is a very real thing. And as wicked and as dark as the world becomes, it also provides an equal opportunity to become just as good, and to provide just as much light. Some questions to consider about this particular principle and invitation to come out from the world is, one, how have you felt God calling you personally to come out from Babylon and out of the world? And why is it sometimes so hard to let the world go? How can we bring more light to the world instead of letting the world dim our light? 
Who have you known in your life that's been a positive influence in this world and an influence for good? And how have they been? What have they done? What things have you seen that you can take and try to incorporate in your own life? And how can you be a similar influence among those that you are around each and every day? Remember Nephi's statement that I know that God giveth no commandments unto the children of men, save he shall prepare a way for them to accomplish those things which he has commanded them. With that commandment to come out of the world, as hard as it is, God has also promised to be with us and to help us and to provide a way for us to accomplish it. And it starts in little ways, one step at a time. And so the last question I'd invite you to consider is what is the smallest step that you can take right now to begin to more fully come out from the world? For the next principle, I want to look at a couple statements that are also made in this chapter, chapter 18, that kind of help us to see how foolish it is to stay in the world and to be a part of it. Because at some point, it's all going to fall apart. Babylon is going to fall. And in verses 9 and 10, there's a line in here that I want you to mark that can really help remind us why, again, it's so foolish to spend our time pursuing the world. Verse, in verse 9, it records, Those that were wicked shall bemoan her, meaning the, the loss of Babylon, saying, Alas, alas, the great city Babylon, that mighty city, for in one hour is thy judgment come. I want you to mark that phrase, for in one hour. And you'll see that several times throughout the rest of the chapter. Verse 14, it records, And the fruits that thy soul lusted after are departed from thee. Verse 17, for, here's the phrase again, in one hour, so great riches is come to naught. And then again in verse 19, for in one hour is she made desolate. See what the Lord is trying to point out, even in that statement. It will literally come as a surprise to so many how quickly the world will fall, how quickly Babylon will fall, how quickly things will change. People that have spent a lifetime pursuing the world will lose everything in a matter of minutes. So I think really the question that can come out of that for each of us is where are we putting our time and our effort? Where are we spending our strength? If you remember the story of Jacob and Esau in the Old Testament, that's always been one of my favorite stories because of a very similar principle that it teaches. How many of us are willing to give away our future, our future happiness, our future inheritances for what we want in the moment, just like Esau did. How many of us will have or are having our appetites of what we want now overrule our ability to wait and to instead get things in the right time and in the right way? Are we building our house on a sandy foundation or are we building it on a rock? Because the day will come when the great and spacious building will fall. That is very clear in scripture. And the fall will be great because there is simply no foundation holding it up. In other words, it will fall quickly. Recently, I was at a tech conference here in Utah where the owner of the Utah Jazz, Ryan Smith, an individual who by his own right has been obviously incredibly successful and financially successful, um, interviewed Elder Bednar and asked him several questions, one of which was so insightful. He, he asked him how many children he had. And as Elder Bednar answered, he then asked him, what advice would you give them just as it relates to life? 
And Elder Bednar proceeded to tell of an experience that he had with Elder Hales and pointed out that Elder Hales at one point was also incredibly successful in business, in finance, and was also incredibly successful at athletics in being a, a football player. But he said over the years, he's watched as Elder Hales has gotten older, he has lost the ability to do much of what he once did even to the point where he could really no longer even walk on his own without help. And so at one point he said when he went over to visit uh, with Elder Hells, he asked him a question that had been on his mind. He said, Elder Hells, what have you learned from being able to do just about anything that you wanted to and could do to needing help with just about everything? And he said Elder Hells' response was incredibly insightful. He said, Time has a way of causing you to focus on those things that matter most. In other words, he was saying as as things slowly begin to fade from your life, the ability to do certain things, that you tend to focus a little bit more on those things that matter most. And he said, uh, David, you don't have to wait until you're old to learn that lesson. You can learn it now. And Elder Bednar was sharing that at this huge tech conference and summit that was comprised of so many people seeking for for business growth and development and opportunities and success. And I think in a way trying to point out that, in fact, he even said many are here in this audience are caught up in things that really don't matter. So he said, if we can all learn to focus on those things that matter most, that the success will come as a result of that. And it will come in the right time and in the right way. Now, he didn't go into detail about what those things were that mattered most, but I think he left that up to the audience to try to kind of contemplate and to figure out for themselves. And that's kind of what I want to invite you to do as well. As a part of the the key questions of this principle, I'd invite you to, to consider what is the significance of the statement to you in one hour in terms of the fall of the world? Why is it so foolish to spend our time and effort and even money on things that won't last or that can be lost so quickly? How can we invest our time, our energy, and money differently so that we will not experience those kinds of losses? What are you doing now that is helping you to build your life on a sure foundation? What are some things that you might be doing that could be considered maybe building on a sandy foundation? How can you always make sure to go about doing things in the right way instead of the quick and the easy way? And then maybe most importantly, what kinds of things do you think personally Elder Bednar was referring to when he said it's important to do those things that matter most? Now for our last principle today, we're going to call it the and they lived happily ever after principle because as scary as all the events that are recorded in the book of Revelation are, They are events that are recorded that will be leading up to the ending where Christ will come to rule and to reign. And as terrible and as difficult as it will be to get there, the book of Revelation ends with a very powerful statement and message that it will be worth it. In chapter 19, verses 7 through 8, it records, Let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to him, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his wife hath made herself ready. And to her was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white, for the fine linen is the righteousness of the saints, or the armor of God. I love that verse for everything that it teaches. In spite of all the destruction that's coming, 
The Lord invites us to still be glad, to rejoice, to give honor, to be happy that we are that much closer to having Christ come, but to also invite us to be ready and to make sure that we are arrayed in fine linen that is clean and white, which is indicative of the righteousness of the saints. And in addition to that, verse uh, chapter 21, verse 4, we have another great reference now twice in the book of Revelation, where it says, God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, neither sorrow for crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. I don't know if there's a scripture that I love more in all of scripture than that one, just because of what it implies about how the world will change when the Savior comes and why it is that we should be so excited to have him come again and looking for it, forward to it with faith and hope and optimism and trust that it will be the best thing that could ever happen to the world. And then this statement in chapter 21, verse 7, He that overcometh shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. And there we have a little bit of the dichotomy that's in play in our lives. He that overcometh the world shall basically inherit the world. In, in other words, in order to get all that God has, we need to be willing to let it all go. If we can learn to let go of the world and to overcome the world, then and only then will be, we be ready to inherit all things. Chapter 22 is the conclusion where Christ will come and rule and reign. Verse 4 is a great verse to mark in that chapter where it records, And they shall see his face, and his name shall be in their foreheads, and there shall be no night there. And they need no candle, neither light of the sun, for the Lord God giveth them light, and they shall reign forever and ever. I love that verse, and I love this ending. President Boy K. Packer once explained that it was meant to be that life would be a challenge. We know that. You and I know that better than most, right? To suffer some anxiety, some depression, some disappointment, even some failure is normal. He said, teach our members that if they have a good, miserable day once in a while, or several in a row, to stand ready and face them. Things will straighten out. There is great purpose in our struggle in life. And Sister Colleen K. Menlove, in a talk titled Living Happily Ever After, said, the story of our search for happiness is written in such a way that if we continue to trust in God and follow His commandments through the challenging times, even those times will bring us closer to the happiness that we're seeking. The Savior said, In the world ye shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. The Savior Jesus Christ showed us the way to happiness and told us everything that we need to do to be happy. As we study the teachings of the Savior and thereby understand the purpose of our existence, we feel and express our happiness. In the Doctrine and Covenants, the Lord said that we should worship Him with a glad heart and a cheerful countenance. And we can experience a speedier and more sure course to our ever-after happiness by developing certain habits and attitudes that encourage happiness, one of which is just trying to be positive. I remember how positive President Hinckley was. If you were old enough to remember him, he was always so optimistic. And she points out at the time that our prophet, President Gordon B. Hinckley, is the very essence of a glad heart. He has written himself that I am an optimist. My plea is that we stop seeking out the storms and enjoy more fully the sunlight. 
I am suggesting that as we go through life, we accentuate the positive. I think that really becomes our challenge. Are there going to be difficult and and challenging times ahead? Yes. But can we maintain that faith and that hope and that positive assurance that the happily ever after will come? The prophet Joseph Smith taught that happiness is the object and design of our existence, and it will be the end thereof if we pursue the path that leads to it. And this path is virtue, uprightness, faithfulness, holiness, and keeping all the commandments of God. And all of this leads to the reason why I love the conclusion of the book of Revelations and the New Testament so much, because it basically concludes with an invitation to come and experience these things, to come and receive these things, to come and find your own happily ever after, a happy ending to your own story. In verse 17 of that final chapter, it records, And the Spirit and the Bride say, Come, and let him that heareth say, Come, and let him that is a thirst come, and whosoever will, let him take the water of life freely. In other words, the invitation is simply given by the Savior to come and follow me. A couple of key questions on this last principle is, maybe one, why are you so excited for the second coming? What are the good things that you can focus on about having the Savior come to the world again? How wonderful do you imagine the world will be with Him here? How can you focus more on the positive in life than the negative? What thoughts came to you about how you can better find happiness in your own life as you listen to some of those quotes that were read? How can you have faith that your story, no matter how hard it gets, will have a happily ever after ending? What is the Spirit whispering to you to do in order to move closer to that ending in your own life story? And how can you better follow the Savior's invitation in this coming year to come follow me? As always, please remember that that person is greatest and most blessed and joyful whose life most closely approaches the pattern of the Christ. And this has nothing to do with earthly wealth, earthly power, or earthly prestige. The only true test of greatness, of blessedness, and of joyfulness is how close a life, how close our life can come to being like the Master Jesus Christ because He is the right way, the full truth, and the abundant life. And He invites us all to come follow me. So, let's follow him better this week and this next year and become better as we follow him. Until next week, everyone, as we launch a new course and a new study and a new book in the Come Follow Me curriculum, I'm Josh Downs, and you've been listening to Come Follow Me for Teens and for Parents of Teens.